reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 3, verse 20 to 35. And the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Belzufu. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to spoke them in parables how can satan cast out satan if a kingdom is divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand and if a house is divided against itself the house will not be able to stand and if satan has risen up against himself and is divided he cannot stand but his end has come but no one can enter strong man's house and plowed his property without first trying up the strong man then ended the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they, they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an alternate sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brother came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. Hey, um, before we begin today, um, if you notice I'm doing a bunch of interviews and I've been doing resurrection interviews. Now, I have today, Eddie and Mary. And, and you see, Eddie listens to the instructions. He goes, okay, I'll just sit right up here. And I'll just be quiet. And uh, Eddie and uh, Mary have been part of our church for three years now? Three and a half. Uh, three and a half years? Okay, and you got married about three and a half years ago? Three years. Three years. Okay, and you found us on Yelp, correct? Yes. Okay, which is interesting. So somehow we got good reviews on Yelp, or they go, hey, look at this church. They suck in Yelp. Let's go visit them like a train wreck. <laughs> this is the, right? And so you came, because you, you were going between churches, right? You were going where? Um, well, I grew up in Riverside, but uh, went to UCLA, and ever since then just stayed in L.A. So I would go to... Like every other week, I'd go to church with my parents in Riverside, okay. or we'd switch and go to Eddie's mom's church. Okay. And so then you decided, because last night when I did the interview with them, I told my wife, Jennifer, I go, they are the younger version of us. They really are. <laughs> because she is a school teacher, and he's a nutball. He's just, cra <laughs> he's just crazy, and she has to be the mature one, just like my wife. So this is why I love Eddie. And so... To justify, don't ever change. Just be a nutball. Maturity is overrated. That's what oh, I no. say. <laughs> <laughs> so then you decided that you want a child. How yeah. did that process? Because you're you're a thinker, right? And he says, so tell yeah. me about that. Um, well, we had decided that um, we'd be married for like two years, right, right. and then after that, we'd think about starting a family. Okay. So last year. Go ahead. Sometime we decided to try to start. To try to start. And the Lord, or just 
bless you in a way, and you immediately became pregnant, right? Yeah. Okay. So therefore, I, I, I know how it's like sometimes. You get so excited about pregnancy. And we're going to focus, and this is one interview we, we really don't focus on, is on of miscarriages. Because miscarriages can be difficult. And, and I've noticed when women have miscarriages, they don't talk about it. It's not talked about. It's just a silent pain that goes into women's lives, and also guys' lives, too. So you were at, you were, your pregnancy was going really well, and so you had a r- routine visit. Tell us about that. Um, so first we found out, I told Eddie, I told him not to tell anyone because we know that like the first trimester is pretty risky. It's high chance of miscarriage. And I just thought, well, that's never going to happen. It'll be fine. Okay. So, so you told Eddie not to say anything. Yes. Eddie, as mature as I am, did you say something? It's the first thing that I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I I told the person that I told not to tell anybody. (laughs) Okay. But what happened is, have you ever done that? I'm not supposed to tell someone, but don't tell anybody, right? So your friend told... My friend told uh, his girlfriend, but he didn't tell her not to tell anybody. So She texted me. So she Congratulations. <laughs> okay, and this is within how long it span when you told him not to say anything? Like within an hour or two. And then that friend told another friend, and it just started spreading. Okay. And That's then he told quick. you. Don't tell her. She's getting calls within an hour. Yeah. <laughs> okay. well, that Sunday I came in and I told Pastor Kevin and the whole yeah. worship team. And yeah. I told them not to tell anybody. Because <laughs> <laughs> the guy was excited. He was going to be a father for the very first time. Pretty excited. Very happy. So anyway, you went on this, <laughs> this, um, you went on this routine mm-hmm. visit. And basically it was so routine, Eddie didn't join yeah. Okay, so you were by yourself. Tell us about that. Well, we already had been to a few visits, and everything was fine. Um, and the doctor kept saying, everything's great, and I felt great. And so the next, the day we found out that something was wrong, um, I'd start, the doctor was asking, it was a different doctor, because right. she had to do an, a little exam where they measure the neck. And mm-hmm. then after that appointment, there was supposed to be an appointment with our own doctor. Right. But she started asking me questions like, um, like in regards to uh, dates and what were the last appointments like, and so that made me wonder or start to think something's going on. So why are you asking these questions? Yeah. Okay. And I had not been to many visits, but I'd been to enough visits to kind of start to realize what were the usual questions, and okay. I was like, those aren't the questions they ask. Right. And so then she threw something out about the heart. What yeah. She was like, well. Um, we don't, I can't find a heart rate. And uh, I was like, well, are you sure about that? And she kept like telling me, she's like, yeah, I'm sure. And she did something with the machine and she's like, and if I do this exam, um, this will just show a heart rate and there's nothing. So there's no heart rate. Okay. And then she's like. Is this where you got just like, just you start yeah, dying I, inside of you? Well, it seemed unreal. I knew what she was saying and I understood but it, ju- it still didn't seem like, I was like, there has to be some sort of mistake because right. everything was great. And, right. and you were still having morning sicknesses. Yeah. And, and, so. and it was already week, like, 13. Right. So I figured everything. But she, she also noticed something about the, the child 
Besides. Uh, besides, was yeah. asked, how many weeks? Well, I'd asked her, I was like, are you really sure about this? And she said yes. And then she's like, in addition to their not being, not detecting a heart rate, there's also, um, she took out some way to measure on the computer and it was, um, she showed that the fetus measured eight weeks, okay. somewhere between eight and nine weeks. So in so, about a month, the heart stopped. Yeah, eating. so she said some point at eight, between eight and nine weeks, the baby stopped growing. Okay. So then what's interesting to is the, the person that was telling you this noticed you were emotionally upset, obviously, and said, you can stay here as long as you want, but then came back within two minutes later and said, and what? Said, she said, um, I'm really sorry, we need this room. So can, uh, she moved me over to someone, a doctor's office, someone who wasn't using their office at the okay. time. Okay, so the so. first call you made was? I called Eddie, Eddie, and I told him. Okay, now, when you received this call, where were you? I was sitting in uh, on a in a conference table, getting ready for a meeting. Okay, and so you notice she's calling, and, and tell us about that call. Yeah, she, uh, she was calling. I knew she went to the doctor, and uh, I was sitting there, so I just pulled one of these, like, hello. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then she told me the bad news. You know, she was real choked up, and uh, it was kind of like a real, like I didn't believe it at first, right? Kind of surreal moment. So I went outside to clarify, and uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was real. It was happening, and um, yeah, I felt um, real bad, like a gut punch right away. You know? Right, and so then you wanted to go to work right away. Why is that? Um, well, the doctor sent us to several. So after this first, the first doctor who told us there wasn't a heart rate, she said, "Well, go to your doctor. Go to your next appointment and talk to her." And she confirmed. Well, she's like, "Yeah, it's." there was a loss, but we're gonna send you to another doctor to okay. make sure. Okay. And so along the way, while we were on our way to the other doctor, I remember we were praying and we were- um, You were praying? Yeah, Eddie mm -hmm. and I were praying and it was like asking God, I was like, God, I know if you, if we asked you to reverse this and it was in your will, you would. Right. And you would make these two doctors and all their tests that they ran, uh, you know, inaccurate and right. it could change, but I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking for courage to accept this because I don't understand it. I don't right. get it. It's well, not fair. Of course. Um, we went to the next doctor. Yes, it was uh, a for sure thing. And then, so the, after that, I asked my doctor, I was like, what's the next step? I want to get this over with and I want to go back to work the next day. Right. She's and like, it's not happening. Yeah, but you want to go back to work quickly for why? why? I wouldn't have to be at home thinking about anything. I'd okay. be so busy that I could not pretend it didn't happen because it happened, but just right. cloud those feelings. Right. Now, where were you emotionally on this? Because as a guy, because you know, my wife had a miscarriage too 11 years ago. Um, so it, it's hard on all of us. And so tell us that one of the things that you were struggling with too. Um, well, you know, uh, I thank God that I've been blessed with not so much pain in my life, mm -hmm. but yeah, that was absolutely the worst thing that had that has happened to me. Right. I, had, I had that grandkid, and um, yeah, it was. Um, I went home too because right. uh, my coworkers were like, "Well, first, like, what's wrong with you? Because you're never like this, right? right? Sitting there, teary eyed, and I was like, you know, gave the bad news, right. and I was gonna stay at work too. Right. Then I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. I can't do it. So it got to the point where. And this handles, again, where you were on your way to church here. Mm -hmm. You guys got in a fight. 
which I don't know if you ever got in a fight on the way to church. You just go, okay, sit over there, I'll sit over here, we're fine, okay, just do. But you got in this fight, why? Um, well, this was like soon after the miscarriage, probably like maybe two weeks after. And, right. um, and I was like just picking at Eddie, like, you didn't turn the light off, you didn't pick your clothes up, something like that. And then we got in the car and it continued like, well, you don't turn the lights off and I have to go turn them off. Something very like... Were you just listening to this? or were you <laughs> Not <just> my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but, but were you just, were you arguing back? Because what I normally do is I just, I'm quiet. I just Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same thing. I don't argue. Okay, okay. He says he can never win. And that frustrates me because I was like, it's not about winning. <laughs> it's about doing things right. That's what it is. And so, okay. Um, so then I said, and I, like I said last yesterday, I was, I'm embarrassed that I said this because I know better. But I was like, uh, I told Eddie, he's like, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go and hear people say stupid things like, I'm sorry. This is what, it's God's will because it's just not fair. Right. And I said that in the moment, I think because maybe um, I had been trying to just like not, um, just stay busy and try right, to not right. like not feel deal it. with it or feel and you're right like all the picking at like all the little things that didn't matter it was a, a way of letting out like was a like part of the grieving right. and um even though that's the appropriate thing to say for someone when you experience loss for someone to say i'm sorry right. you know like what can i do for you you know trust god i didn't in that moment i didn't want to hear say, it trust god trust him for what i mean you you wanted a child. No, I'm like the devil here. But 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 because when I went through this trust God stuff, is that you want to say easy for you to say, mm-hmm. you know, easy for you to do. You're not feeling the loss. I don't think people understand the depth of miscarriages. Because you will know exactly when that child was born or should have been born. You know exactly the age of that child should be. You know, for us, because when I knew I was interviewing you, I knew that if we did not have a miscarriage, our daughter, Faith, would be 11 years old. And I wonder what an 11-year-old child would be like running around this church, hopefully not having church issues with you guys. Maybe pastoral issues or dad issues. So you you were going through this, and and so so it got to the point where you were told by doctors to wait, right? What did the doctors have to say? Um, the doctor's recommendation was wait at least six months until even considering okay. trying again. To try again. So then your pastor, me, isn't engaging in a conversation with your wife <laughs> because I. I believe you share your you you comfort by your own pain by by saying you know we went through this too this moment like this so it was such an engaging conversation and then you joined us in the conversation and then your pastor said some moronic stuff listen that that basically I said look I felt filled with the Holy Spirit and I and I said to her. I said, I've never said this before, but I believe the Lord's telling me to tell you to discover when you're ovulating and go for it. 
And, and I told her, I prayed three times for this to happen with other couples, and it worked. <laughs> and let's try this, right? How did you receive that? Um, well, at first I thought it was a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then um, Eddie was like joking about it. He's like, see, Pastor Kevin's saying we need to go and, you know, work on this. <laughs> I received it well. You were good. <laughs> I received it well. <laughs> That's funny. That's God's will. <laughs> That's, That's funny. And then since our conversation, when did you discover you were pregnant? Um, well, it was a few weeks later that we found out we were pregnant and we didn't know. Okay. So we had somewhere around the time that you prayed and gave us a task. <laughs> you don't say it that way, give us a task. I'm kidding. That's <laughs> well, um, <laughs> the way you think about it. Yeah. Which is interesting how the Lord can work for a couple that can't have children. That I've actually played, prayed for three couples and they have children. It's just weird how God works. So then... While we conclude, you decided, I'm going to name, you just, you discovered you have a girl, and, and we put this off and off and off until we knew, you know, because you told me, and I go, okay, we'll keep it a secret, and then you actually kept it a secret. I think I came in and I told you in the <laughs> And then she got the phone call within an hour. Yeah. No, that didn't <laughs> okay, that didn't happen. Make sure you don't. This time, everyone knew not to call me. Okay, but, I think he was still but telling you did people. tell everybody. <laughs> you are funny. I, I can't help it. Either. I know, you're excited. I get it. But anyway, we won't. So, so, you, so you found out you're having a girl. Okay, and tell us about the name. Um, so we were having a girl, you know, very, very excited, and we had been going through uh, names, uh, um, trying to figure out, you know, trying to decide on a name, and we decided on Eliana. We liked it, you know, and, and we named her that, and, uh, you know, a few weeks came through, and we talked about it at church and, and Pastor Kevin, and then come to find out, uh, um, a couple weeks later, uh, Mary was looking up the meaning of the name, and, and the uh, Eliana uh, directly means uh, God's prayer is answered. So. So, and, and, and also in your little immature way, you're going to call her Ellie because... Yeah, so, <laughs> so I, I didn't try to work this out. It just worked out. Um, her name is Eliana, short, and the short name is uh, L-E-E-L-L-I-E. And my name is Edward, and, and short for me is Eddie, which is E-D-D-I-E. So it's almost the same. He's very excited about it. Okay, we'll we'll give you the last word. If somebody's struggling with a miscarriage, because nobody said I had a miscarriage, mm -hmm. it's just a silent thing. What direction would you give? Or what advice would you give? What would you say to someone, or not say to someone? It's kind of a, uh, it's tough because um, I think after um, the miscarriage, there's like ups and downs. And like for me, it was just like, I felt like it was unfair. And I thought like, 
I wasn't ever mad at God, but I just felt like, um, kind of like I didn't deserve this because right. uh, I was like, God, ever since I was a little girl, I've prayed to you, I've had faith in you, and um, it's just not fair. I see it was done, but it wasn't fair, and right. it's not cool. But um, so when other people would tell me it's in God's will, it's going to be okay, that was very comforting. But sometimes hearing that was not comforting because right. it. I know that, but it, it didn't help change right. the fact. So I guess... If anyone is struggling with it, um, just say what you feel, even if it's not a very, like if it's like what I said that day, right. I don't want to hear anyone say anything. Because right. that was, I think that's normal to go through right. the ups and downs. And right. so, well, that's and right. it's, okay. some, sorry, and I realized uh, after when I went back to work or even, you know, talking to friends, it's happened to so many people, way more than I thought, and no one would say anything right. until after I experienced, like, oh, yeah, well, I can relate because it's happened to me, but it's something that no one likes to talk about, well, and I, I can see why. Well, I guarantee there's a lot of people here today that had miscarriage that have never said anything. Yeah. And so, thank you. Before we pray, thank you so much for sharing this story, because I think it's important for all of us to hear and all of us to know that this is a silent thing that a lot of women and men struggle with and you know exactly the date that that baby was going to be born and that date will always be stuck in her head the same thing in our date january uh you know of this year would be 11 years old so let's pray father we thank you we thank you for this opportunity for them to share this story and we just pray lord that you would just anoint your holy spirit in, in her womb right now and protect this child and we just pray, Lord, that we will celebrate at the end of the summer of holding this dear daughter of yours that is God's answered prayers. We just thank you, Lord, for Eddie. We thank you, Lord, for Mary. We ask you to bless us, her, their marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. And said, amen. amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's great. Anyway, I want to show you this uh, position, this picture here. Have you ever been in this position before? It's called the fetal position. Now, the fetal position is very interesting because when we see someone in the fetal position, it does not necessarily mean that they're in the comfort of their mother's womb and all their needs are being met. It simply means that I don't know how to deal with this anymore. There's twice, if not three times, that your pastor has literally been in fetal positions. Two of them in their 90s. One of them was in the living room after I got off the phone with somebody. And I noticed my life, I was sucker punched, and I just fell on the floor and just laid there. Three weeks later, I was laying in a field in Highland Park. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever been in these fetal positions before, because of the process that I think and a process that I'm developing in my mind that adds total hopelessness. In the next picture, if you look at it, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, you were wondering how in the world that everybody's given this, these, these people have everything that the world says you should be happy with. And so when I read these stories and I look at these stories, I think, my goodness, what goes in people's minds that a decision that they make, this is the best and only decision to make. Now, it's interesting, 
that it would be nice if I could get up here and say, how do you avoid these fetal positions? It would be nice to say the older you get, the less fetal you would experience. And I've noticed, and it's frustrating with me, because these two people were close to my age. And I've always thought in my life when I was younger, the older I get, that I won't have to deal with this stuff in life, these difficulties in life. And so when I was in my 40s, I thought, man, this is going to be good. Or when I paid off this, oh, this will be good. But there's times in our lives that we just experience these fetal positions that basically we get a phone call or something or news from a doctor or something happened that's like a sock in the gut. Sock in the gut. Yeah, a gut. You know what I mean. But there's another spiritual reason life brings us to these fetal positions. And I had to really think about this to say, you know what, when I'm in these fetal positions in my life, and there will be ones in the future, that if you look on the screen, we wrote this, the ego likes to set itself up as king and queen over our lives. This is called the imperial ego. The imperial ego likes us to believe that we are in charge and have the power to control and fix any hard situation that comes our way. Even the painful ones that have come about to full or in part by our own choices. Although God does not cause the painful situation we find ourselves in, God uses them to show our imperial ego that we are not in control and we are powerless to fix things. It often takes tragedy, a failure, or out-of-control addiction to humble the ego and help us realize that we are powerless. So when your pastor's in the fetal positions or when you're in a fetal position, you realize that now you have a choice. See, usually when we're in fetal positions, we go, I don't have a choice. Back on the screen. The choice is, will we stick or will I stick with this harmful, habitual pattern of thinking and acting, which I call the addictions, in an attempt to remain in control or to avoid painful emotions, or will we realize that we are not in control and are powerless and therefore give up control? Mary even said she wanted to go back to work because she didn't want to feel this pain anymore. We, met, we self-medicate, whether it's going to movies or in certain situations or alcohol or something. We don't want to feel this pain anymore. And so the road where we're put on the screen, I put a, this is a series I'm starting called The Road to Restoration. And if you hear me all the time, I'm saying restored in order to restore. And I believe the Lord has given me this direction for this church because restoration is so important to to deal with, to go through these fetal positions. And the road to restoration begins with getting beyond the denial that we are in control. Because if any, anyone could teach on control issues, it's me. I have control issues. And you know what? I can spot a person that has control issues. You all have control issues. <laughs> okay? One control person to the other one, we have control issues. And this is how we get beyond our addictions. And, and we all are addicted. And really, basic addicted at anything, which is called sin. Sin keeps us from hitting the mark. Sin keeps us from being what God has created us to be. Sin keeps us from experiencing the joy that's not dependent on the circumstances around us, but the inner experience of who we are through God. And so I'm going to 
go another place because we've never heard a pastor discuss about miscarriages. But I'm going to another place that I'm going that you never heard a pastor talk about, and that's this certain addiction. And addiction is addiction to religion. Now I want you to follow me on this, because as a religious leader, I know the addiction to religion. Because anyway, let's say I am a dealer. My job is to get you addicted to something for job security. And if I can get you addicted to religion, then I got you. And so therefore, and the thing is what's interesting, this is why the evangelicals embrace what we call prosperity theology. Because prosperity <laughs> theology really embraces imperial ego. It knows how to do it. In fact, religion is powerful and soothing to the imperial ego. How does that work? Well, first, my ego wants to believe that I am right. So therefore, the pastor or the priest or the rabbi will get up here and say what everything else is wrong in the world, but we are right. We are the right religion. We do this right. And so therefore, the pastor will pull up his particular life or whatever and say, this is wrong, and you go, I don't struggle with this, so therefore, I am superior. And so then when we get superior, we turn the gospel in what we call an achievement contest. That I'm a man of God, that I've done this, that I went to school, that I'm a pastor, that I'm doing this. And so therefore, I am a good person, and my achievements are much higher than your achievements. We have this, these done in our churches. We have deacons in our churches. We have certain leaders in our churches. We have certain board members in our churches. So therefore, we contribute to that. Back on the screen. This is absolutely the opposite to the gospel, which shows us that our salvation and restoration have nothing to do with our own willpower to be good or to do good and to live up to the religious expectation. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. That's it. It's a gift. And so in today's gospel, it gives us an, a, a prime example of addicted to religion. Jesus, <laughs> I love Jesus. I, I just love because he doesn't put up with stuff. And if you notice in the gospels, he doesn't get frustrated with the people that you and I, like the one that committed adultery or the lepers or stuff like that. He got frustrated with what? The religious leaders. In his most harsh language, it was He's talking to the scribe. He's talking to the uh, Pharisees. He's talking to the religious leaders. And so imagine this, that all of us know somebody that has an addiction, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, that, that we know somebody or know somebody that knows somebody. But imagine you actually brought that person to this church, and they were at the last straw. They had so much going on, and Jesus himself himself was standing right here. You would actually bring him to Jesus. Jesus would place his hands upon his head and begin to pray. And you would physically see a transformation and a restoration immediately happen in that man's life. That all of a sudden they have no remnant of any of addiction that they're struggling with. That that man or woman had a brand new life through Jesus Christ. You would be so excited and ecstatic to see someone come to life again for the very first time. But then all of a sudden, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Reuben or Brooke came out and said, no, no, that wasn't God, that was the devil himself. 
Now, Jesus was interesting because Jesus says this. He goes, how in the world because <laughs> this, has Satan removed a devil, a demon himself? Basically, they were saying a demon did this. And so they were so good at this because it's a word I can't pronounce. They actually named which demon did this. It's in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, in the end part of the verse. It's on the screen. I don't know. What's the guy's name? Well, you can call somebody that when you get ticked off at it. They have no idea what you're doing. But this, but this he, he has, whatever, by ruler of the demons and cast out demons. If you've done any studying about this, you'll realize this, is, this was the most powerful demon, that he was in charge of other demons. So they were saying, that demon, that one that was in charge of other demons, cast out the demon. See, the Jewish religion, Jewish religious leaders back then, could not deal with being challenged by their religious addiction. Because if this was actually the Son of God doing this, they would have to change. They would have to, uh, see, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so therefore, it shook their way of thinking. And, it, and it's the same today. If somebody tells you some information that's against what you believe or sees something, what do we do? That's fake. It's not real. Because it challenges, it changes us. So they were doing the same thing. So this is thousands of years ago. And so because they were saying Satan did this. Now this is interesting because a lot of us live in the denial factor. We live in denial. In fact, if you look at the definition of denial, it says this. It's on the screen. Or it should be on the screen. Denial is a psychological, it refers to a type of defense mechanism where people subconsciously reject the aspects of reality that they are not comfortable with. Now, let me introduce you on the screen to Christina. Have you seen Christina on commercials? Or I'm not the only one that watches TV? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, you have, or yes, you're the only one that watches TV. Christine lost half of her face because of smoking. And she says something that's very interesting about smoking. She says this. She says, if you occasionally smoke, you are a smoker. That's what she says. Because you look at smokers, and I can get on smokers and smoking. That stuff kills you. And so, therefore, she, she basically says that statement to get out of the denial factor. To really change. Like, smoking will kill you. And so, so this is important. The really scary and dangerous things about this, is the denial, is that we choose to be blind. And the, these leaders, these religious leaders, chose to be blind because their ego was doing something with them. And so how does a person get beyond the denial? And I hate to say these nasty little four letters here, but the four letters are P-A-I-N, pain. Because my whole theology when I grew up, that somehow if I follow Jesus, if I'm a Christian, if I go in the ministry, therefore God will exempt me from all kinds of suffering and pain. Am I the only one that thought this? But when pain came into my life, which came very quickly, Therefore, the Lord uses, doesn't cause this fetal position that we get ourselves into. Because God does, doesn't cause the pain, but he helps us change the patterns of the way we think. That's why in Romans it says, be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. The 
way we think. God gives us an opportunity to see the truth. And here, here's the thing is, when you look at restoration, what does restoration mean when I'm restored? Jesus puts it right there. He says in John chapter 8, 32, it's the last word. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. It's a freedom. It's not I'm wealthy and I'm a multi-billionaire, which would be nice. But it's a freedom that I've never experienced before. And I shared with you that four weeks ago that I'm experiencing a freedom that I've never experienced before. And that's within here. And so, therefore, the truth shall set you free. But unfortunately, just because we are given the opportunity to see the truth doesn't mean we necessarily embrace it, do we? Because our own ideology, we're so determined that it will work. Follow me on the screen. Just like these religious leaders who accuse Jesus of casting out demons by Satan, we can get in such a deep level of denial that we are in total darkness. And even if Jesus, the light of this world, is standing in front of us, all we see is darkness. Now, unfortunately, religious people are in the most danger of that kind of denial. Jesus called it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, this is about this about the religious leaders. Whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders. Somehow we think it's to everybody, but Jesus is hardcore because he's trying to break their way of thinking. And man, I'm telling you right now, if Jesus was here physically, he would have a heyday with the American evangelicals right now. Just my opinion, okay? Do not email me, because I'll put it on the screen and use it as a reference. <laughs> That's wrong, isn't it? Okay. And so the problem is that it was all about saving themselves. And they were in total denial of the fact that they did not have the power to save themselves. Their imperial egos would not let them. That's why I titled the sermon, The Big Denial. So the question is this, it's on the screen. When life happens and we find ourselves down on the ground in fetal positions, in the worst pain of our lives, will we admit the truth that we are all powerless and that all of us are intent to manage our own problems, have just made our problems more unmanageable? Or will we keep crawling around on the ground in our pain, trying to manage our own lives and making ourselves and everyone else around us miserable? So here's my invitation to us today. It's on the screen. Stop trying to control your life when it's out of control. That unthinkable loss, that moral failure, that out-of-control behavior, that relapse, is there, to sh is there to show you something. You are not in control. And if life has to put you down on the ground in that fetal position, realize that may be a form of God's grace reaching out to you and saying, take my hand. See, there's times that I'm in the fetal position, I ain't taking anyone's hand. Because I want to be justified in the fetal position. I want to see if I, if I actually lay down in the fetal position, I won't be able to get up. <laughs> and so let's say I'm in a fetal position. I go, does anyone see me right now? Because I'm going to stay here until I can get sympathy and get people to feel sorry for me. And Jesus goes, take my hand, dude. Take my hand. We're going to rebuild this together. 
And that's my rebuilding my life at 55. There's five distinguished times that my life needs to be rebuilt. And I'm in the middle of it getting rebuilt now. Rebuilding doesn't take 30 days, 25 days, six steps. God was clear he's going to rebuild my life in two years. To be the pastor that God has called me to be, to be the husband I need to be, be the person that I am when I look inside of the mirror. You hear me? And so you are not in control. And if life has to put you down on the ground in this fetal position, realize that that may be a form of God's grace reaching out to you and saying, take my hand. There's no place to go now but up. You can't do it on your own. Let me do it for you. I've done a funeral of someone in this church that committed suicide. It was Easter Sunday where she sat there with the happiest person in the world. And then two days later, I get a call that she jumped off the 10 stories of a parking structure in Santa Monica. It's not going to happen anymore. It's not going to happen. That was one too many. This, the word of God, is about living your life, not taking your life. If you want to take your life, let Jesus take your life. And let him build the life that he has in store and he created you. If you look at your connection card, it says this. And if you want to check it, we pray for you. It says, I realize I'm powerless over my harmful habits of behavior or my attempts to manage my life have made my life even more unimaginable. I'm ready to get past the big denial and allow God to put me on the road to restoration. 